Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast, a part of the Agora Podcast Network. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being more deeply in touch with our own humanity. This is episode 126, and it's about sugar in Tudor England. If you're like me, you're one of the millions of people who are trying to watch their sugar intake. In the past decade, more and more research has come out about how addictive sugar is, and dentists have found that kids in England now have the same rate of tooth decay as in the 17th century. Ugh. So what is this history of this oh-so-addictive sweet white powder which we seem to want to put everywhere? Did our Tudor friends use sugar? Most people have heard the stories about Elizabeth I's rotten teeth because of her sweet tooth, but what about our other Tudor friends? Also, I've done a number of episodes about food and sumptuary laws, which you might find interesting. I'm going to link to them at englandcast.com slash sugar, which is the show notes for this episode. Again, that's englandcast.com slash sugar. Before we get started, I just want to remind you about TudorCon. We're about three months away from the world's first ever TudorCon, and I cannot wait to hang out with you and about a 100 of our new best friends in Lancaster, PA, actually just north of Lancaster, Pennsylvania in Mannheim on a gorgeous weekend in October to learn from Tudor experts. We're going to see a Tudor musical. We're going to hang out and dance to period music. There'll be a medieval feast. It's going to be amazing. So you can go to englandcast.com slash TudorCon 2019 for more info. That's englandcast.com slash TudorCon 2019. So I cannot wait to see you at TudorCon in October, just over three months away. Since ancient times, sugar has been seen as a medicine, a good food, even something holy. Look at the promises in the Bible about the land of milk and honey. The first major interaction between Western Europe and sugarcane, though, was during the Crusades, when people discovered that they had a real taste for it. But it was costly, mostly due to the lack of technology with processing sugar. 
So it was really only the wealthiest of people who could afford it, but afford it they did, and they loved it. One of the household accounts of Edward I shows a purchase of over 2,000 pounds of various kinds of sugars in one year alone, including a kind that was used for medicine, a special rose sugar. But this was extraordinary, and most ordinary people would not have had the ability to purchase sugar like this. By the 14th century, though, sugar was becoming popular and normal in wealthy houses, in upper-class houses. In 1319, an Italian trader carried over 100,000 pounds of sugar into England, for example. In the 14th century, more sugar was imported into sandwich in Kent. There are records of that. And further north, it was a popular import in Boston in Lincolnshire and from Amsterdam and Calais. Devon also imported it. And by the end of the 14th century, a London grocery shop was just selling sugar right off the street. But what really made sugar take off was when the Portuguese broke the Italian monopoly on sugar as they began to cultivate it in the Azores. Soon there was competition and newer players in the sugar market. Add to that more understanding of how sugar could be used not just in foods, but also medicine and even as an art form with confectionery, and the sugar market began to take off. In the 16th century, we see the emergence of candy makers and those who were experts in molding and making specialist confectionery treats from sugar. They were in most major towns by this point. And we also start to see tooth decay as never before. Medieval skulls show little in the way of tooth decay. Their teeth were very healthy. Molds made from Pompeii show no decay at all. So our ancient friends and the people just before in the medieval period didn't have very much in the way of tooth decay. But suddenly in the 16th century, teeth start rotting. And that is all because more and more sugar is coming into the regular everyday diets. The Earl of Northumberland, for example, ordered more than 2,000 pounds of sugar in one year in the late 16th century. Henry VIII had his own confectioner expert who was in charge of cooking with sugar and also any kind of sweet dessert foods. Hampton Court even had its own bakery just for sweets. And recipes began appearing in cookbooks that used a great amount of sugar. They would use the sugar in sauces. They would even sprinkle sugar directly on meat. It's interesting to note that it's generally the women of the household who manage the confectionery directly. The ingredients were expensive and you needed to have special tools to work with them. And that couldn't always be trusted to servants. Also, there were healing properties of sugar, which the women would oversee in the home. So sugar actually became this world for women that was very exclusive, uh, very special, and was pretty much owned by the women at this period. One Middle Eastern remedy for fevers was small amounts of pooled sugar. And these became known in England as alphanics or a pan. Sugar. We still use their descendants today whenever we eat a sweet throat lozenge. So when you pop one of those Luden's lozenges or something like that, you're basically taking part in a remedy that goes back centuries for coughs and fevers, and that was sugar. One medieval Arabic remedy ground sugar powder with pine nuts, almonds, cinnamon, cloves, ginger, licorice, and starch. And that was still being prescribed in 17th century England, quote, for such as those who have coughs, ulcers, and consumptions of the lungs. Sugar had warming properties, and it was believed to help with your digestion. And this is the root of why we eat it for dessert today. During the medieval period, at the end of a large banquet, there would be a void course when you ate sugar-coated seeds and drank a sweet wine, Hippocrates, in order to close your stomach. 
As the availability of sugar grew during the 16th century, there were more choices for this void, and it grew into a sugary sweet dessert buffet by Elizabethan times. The course still was considered medicinal, though. Marmalade was valued for the soothing effect on the stomach, and people believed that it was incredibly important to close off your belly with something sweet. This is sort of the equivalent of what we would use today, maybe like an acid tablets or indigestion tablets. One recipe took powder from three types of peppers, white pepper, peppers, black peppers, and a long pepper, and mix ginger and sugar, and taken with honey after a meal, it was an antidote to indigestion and heartburn. Sugar was essentially seen as something that would expel all of the ill humors related to indigestion in the body. Yet another use of sugar was in artistic work to show off wealth and status. So Arab sculptors had commissioned displays of sugar confectionery works to mark special occasions. In 1412, a traveler in Egypt wrote of a mosque built of sugar. And in places like Cairo and Alexandria, there are still famous streets named Sugar Street that shows how far back the history of sugar goes in that world. Europeans would take these same ideas and customize them for their own audience. Honey continued to be used, but sugar was taking over in the royal households. So when you mixed gum and resin to your sugar paste, you could make gorgeous sculptures that were bonded and could be used in molds in almost any shape. You could then paint the sugar or even coat it in gold, making it shimmer with sweetness. Cardinal Woolsey leaves records of having been particularly interested in these. In 1515, when Woolsey became a cardinal, he celebrated by ordering a display of churches, gardens, birds, beasts, and a chess set, all made of sugar. Later in 1527, he treated French ambassadors at Hampton Court to a collection of over 100 sugar sculptures in just the second course of their meal. These included a castle, St. Paul's Cathedral, people dancing and fighting, birds, and a chess set, which he gave the visitors when they left in a specially designed case. You can see drawings of these sculptures in the show notes for this episode at englandcast.com slash sugar. I have a couple of drawings of contemporary displays of what these sugar sculptures would have looked like. It wasn't just cardinals who were going all in on sugar sculptures, though. In 1503, the new vice chancellor of the University of Oxford ordered a sugar sculpture of all eight towers of the university. And in 1526, Henry VIII hired seven cooks to create a sugar banquet at Greenwich. There was a dungeon, a manor with swans, as well as a tower and a chessboard, all covered in gold. So sugar had four main uses, to sweeten food, to preserve fruits and vegetables, and to mold into decorations, plus the medicinal properties. But with food, the rising cookbooks during this time period made it even more possible for recipes and ideas of how to use sugar to spread faster than ever. In terms of preserving food, the Greeks and Romans had used honey to preserve their fruits. It was the Arabs who discovered the ways to use sugar syrups to keep fruits edible. During the medieval period, these processes gradually spread throughout the Mediterranean and would have been picked up by the Crusaders. By the early 15th century, England was importing citrus fruits preserved in syrup, and by the Tudor period, people were making these fruits themselves, these preserves, from imported raw lemons and oranges. The preserved fruits were known as wet suckets and were an important item at the banquet course. They had these bright colors and coatings of syrup that would make all the table look really festive, and they were reflected in special Venetian glasses that they purchased just for these fruits. Although there were various methods, the most popular was that the fruits were usually poached first in water and then boiled for a short time in a thin syrup. 
They were steeped in this syrup for a day or two, then drained off and boiled again. The English process had this going on a number of times until the fruits had absorbed the syrup completely. And then the finished preserves were stored in glasses, almost like mason jars. They were sealed with writing paper dipped in brandy or bladders tied on with a string. You could also put some meat, some mutton over top to keep it completely airtight. Most wealthy people bought their sugar through London, but as sugar became more and more available and cheaper, it was available even in small provincial towns. By the mid-17th century, even the very smallest towns had shops that sold sugar, and it was beginning to lose its cachet among the wealthy. But when sugar was at the height of its popularity in court, everyone tried to get on the sugar bandwagon. Queen Elizabeth, like I said, of course, is famous for having had her terrible teeth, which was the result of not just her sweet tooth, but also the sweet tooth mixed without any proper dental care. At that time, people did brush their teeth, but they didn't have any kind of normal toothpaste like we would use or even baking soda, anything like that. People actually believed it was a good idea to brush your teeth with honey or with sugar itself. So, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. Those stories of her teeth are likely a little exaggerated. There's really only one record of her having had a tooth pulled. And it is true, though, that in her later years, foreign dignitaries found her words difficult to understand, something that was blamed on her tooth loss and pain. But it could also be that she was was just getting old. Either way, it's true that having blackened teeth was a status symbol showing that you could afford sugar. So it's clear that people understood at least a casual link between sugar and bad teeth. And there was actually a short-lived Tudor fad among the ladies at court for the less well-off people. I mean, they were still at court, so they were still wealthy. But, you know, the next level down to blacken their teeth just to make it seem as if they were wealthy enough to buy a ton of sugar so that they had black teeth. So you would on purpose make your teeth black. So that's fun. Even children were introduced to sugar from a very young age. So sugar was often used as gifts to kids. And like today, where it's linked to romance, boxes of chocolates at Valentine's Day, for example, romance was also attached to sugar. There's the story of when Elizabeth I was visiting Kenilworth Castle, where the Earl of Leicester was trying to woo her. She arrived to confectionery hanging from all of the trees. And the idea was that a gentleman would be walking with his chosen lady and would stop to take confectionery from the tree and present it to the lady who he was courting. Of course, in England, the history of sugar is linked with that of coffee and tea, both of which are imports that became popular a century after Henry VIII. Once British people went into their first coffee shop in the mid-17th century and tasted the bitter coffee or had their first Indian tea leaves, the success of sugar became inevitable. If you then add in the labor on the sugar plantations in the Caribbean from slavery, the history of sugar becomes murky and much more complicated. In 1625, the English seized Barbados and set up sugar plantations and started importing slaves from Africa to work on those plantations. By 1700, over 50,000 slaves were being worked to death in Barbados, and sugar prices dropped 70%. Sugar became a commodity available to everyone. Once tea and sugar became staples as well, which happened in the 18th century, sugar's fate was sealed. But during the Tudor period, at least in England, we see this little rush of excitement about sugar. While prices were definitely helped from the exploitation of the African slaves by Portugal, the English themselves were not part of that exploitation directly yet. 
sugar hadn't yet been ingrained and inextricably linked with mass cruelty and genocide in England as it would be a century later. For now, we just have this period of experimentation and the cookbooks from this time period are amazing when you look at the recipes that people were using and the way people were using sugar. And there was still that feeling of newness and freshness about it before people realized just how terrible it was. So I'm going to leave it there for this week. There are tons of great resources about how people use sugar in medicine and in cooking. I have a list of them at englandcast.com slash sugar. So go there for show notes and to see the pictures and everything like that. And you can also get in touch with me through the listener support line at 8016tesco or through Twitter at Tesco or facebook.com slash englandcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I will be back in about two weeks. Have a great couple of weeks, everybody. Blow northern wind, ascend for baby sweating. Blow northern wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hoffe, Bord in Baurabrik, that soul is semis on sicht. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.